You know what I mean? Like he came to a celebration. And, and I feel like that there, for whatever reason, like I feel like we need to stand up again. And I feel like you just need to say hi to a few people around. Just say welcome to the party or something. Whatever you need to do just to say what's up. I feel like we need to do that tonight, all right? So, yeah. There we go. There we go. All right, perfect. Now we can get going. Have a seat. Yes. All of your beautiful faces here tonight. Do you feel beautiful? Yeah. All three of you. Heretics. Man, I'm just... uh. Just blessed to have uh, each of you guys here tonight. It's a, it's a celebration of, of what God has done in this community. It's kind of nostalgic. I've waited like three years to use that word in a message. Sweet. It's, I did this whole search about what's the coolest word ever in the human language. It's clearly shrapnel, but nostalgia or, <laughs> nostalgia or nostalgic is in the top 20. So I, you know, it's kind of like this, this feeling of, man... A couple of years ago, Jason and I walked out on the front of the stage and, 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 uh, and, and we launched this church. And it's kind of got that weird feeling like, man, like God's done so much. But I think, I think like we're all so anxious for what he has for us, you know. And so if you're here tonight, like, like this is your first time, like this, this has been going on for a couple of years. And, and our, our whole um, purpose as a church is is to love God more, and, and trust me, like we haven't got that figured out, but we're learning, and to love people more, and trust me, we haven't got that figured out, but we're learning. And so I just want to welcome you. If tonight's your first time, you've never been to Matthias a lot, welcome to the party tonight, welcome to the celebration. Like we're going to be busting out the dues later, it's going to be awesome, you know, the heavenly nectar. I'm really excited about tonight, um, I, 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 did a, I did a discipleship study a couple years ago, and going through all four Gospels to see all the tendencies of all the disciples, etc. These four chapters coming up in Luke were the four chapters that my heart just, it, 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 it just I, w- I was just drawn to it. And so, honestly, I'm so excited about tonight, and I don't know what that means for each of us, but it's, it's, it, it could get crazy. So let's pray, and we're going to get going, alright? Father, um, I just love you, and we're all so humbled um, because of what you have done. And God, we're also excited and anxious to see what you will continue to do. And I pray, God, that tonight as we open your word, that you'll draw us into yourself, that you will grab our hearts, that you will humble us, and that you will make us and mold us to be more like you. Father, that's what we want. We don't want to mess around. We want the real thing, Jesus. That's what we're saying. Like we don't want some religion or we don't want just to be uh, some group of people that gathers and give each other high five. God, we want the real thing tonight. So please speak to us mightily through your word in your holy and awesome name. And all God's people said, the common misperception of the Bible is that it is a book of heroes. Like when you're growing up, right, and you're going through Sunday school and the felt pads up and, and like each week is this, is this message or this teaching about a different hero. Abraham's awesome and Noah did this and Moses did this and Elisha and Elijah were that and then, uh, and then Peter, Paul and Mary came along. Is that a band? I'm not sure. But the, like all of these people came along and they're, they're, all these, they're all these heroes. Well, poetically put in Avery's 
the Jesus Storybook Bible, which we gave the Parkers last week and we'll be giving every uh, baby that gets dedicated here, that Bible says this in the beginning. I know you may think that the Bible is a book, of, is a book about heroes, but it's not. It's a book about one hero. And, and, and the reason why I love those words and I read those to Avery all the time is because I think when we elevate these individuals beyond what Christ has done in their life, and we elevate them to this place of like they have done something or that apart from Christ they have some type of worth, then we begin to lose relatability with them. It's like, well, I, I can't relate to Abraham's struggles because he's like this massive hero with the biggest pecs in the world. Or I can't relate to Moses or I can't relate to Paul or Peter and their struggles because the, I mean, these guys are the heroes of the Scriptures. Why this is important tonight is because we're really diving in tonight to the 12 disciples, to 12 men, to 12 ordinary men. Fishermen, tax collectors, guys who had no clue until Christ showed up. And it's important for us not to elevate them above something that God has done in them and elevate them that like somehow they're, they're mysteriously awesome apart from Christ because they're not. And friends, each of us tonight have to be drawn into the fact of the relation to them. That somehow we are like them. So open to Luke chapter 9. Yeah. <laughs> Tasty treats. Mm-hmm. I just look back and see Odell giving the tasty treat sign. I love it. <clears throat> we're going to have fun tonight. Uh, chapter 9 of Luke. We're going uh, verse by verse through Luke. If you're a Lindenwood student, welcome back, Lindenwood students. Can we get a, give it up for them if you've been gone for a while? Also, one more welcome back. Can we welcome back Greg Shear tonight? Great to see him up on bass guitar. Chapter 9, verse 1. <laughs> when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. <laughs> There's a whole lot going on in one verse. You remember that in the last couple of weeks we've been looking at Jesus' power and authority over, first of all, a natural disaster, a storm on the Sea of Galilee. Then he casts out demons, sends them into pigs, and all the pigs drown and then he heals a sick woman and brings back a dead woman to life. And what we saw is that Jesus has power and authority over the spiritual realm and over like the natural weather realm and over the over death and over sickness that he is all powerful and almighty. And if you're like me, you're like, okay, so if this passage says that Jesus gave all authority and power to the disciples, if you're me, you're thinking like, like didn't they just get called a few chapters ago? Like, didn't Jesus just call these guys to come and follow him, and all of a sudden he's giving them authority and power to cast out, did you see the word all there? All demons, in the Greek that means all, right? And to heal diseases. Like, it gives this image of what, what is Jesus doing? Does he know what he's doing? He's going to send the rat pack, right, in, in the, into the flames here. I mean, this is, a, this is a, now, to have power simply means to have the ability to do something. To have authority means to have the right to do it. You see the difference? To have power means you have the ability to do it. To have authority means you have the right to do it. And Jesus gives them both. So again, in the relatability of you and the disciples, you've just been called, I don't know how many months ago, maybe a year. We don't have a great um, timeline here. But you've just been called and all of a sudden Jesus comes to you and says, all right, boys, here's the deal. I give you all authority that you've just seen me, uh, you've just seen me distribute. You've just seen me heal. You've just seen me cause a storm to, to, to cease. You've just seen me cast out demons. You've just seen me heal people from diseases, and now uh, that authority and power I give to you. Like, you're freaking out, aren't you, a little bit? I mean, I, I just looking at the story, I'm like, I, this is early. This is so early. 
I, I, I love when people talk about Jesus' leadership, right? And they're like, they're like going through like Jesus' leadership etiquette. I'm pretty sure that if there's a leader that we should like follow, it'd be Jesus. I don't care whether you're in the business world or whether you're in the spirits or whatever you're in, man. Jesus is a phenomenal just leader, okay? And so when he calls these guys, and then they get to watch, and then he sends them out, we get this amazing picture of him preparing them for the real deal. Like they have to right now have to go and experience. And then if you're like here and you've been like, I, I don't, I don't, I've always wondered what discipleship is, right? Like it, it's this mystical thing that no one's been able to etch a sketch it out and like put some framework around it. Like I'm really desirous of knowing what discipleship is. This is a perfect picture of what discipleship is. I mean, don't you agree that we should probably see how Jesus discipled to learn how to disciple? Can we agree there? Great. All three of you. Awesome. All right. But what he does is he calls and then so early here, he, he sends out, and this just gets great, verse 2, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God. And we keep seeing this reoccurring theme in Luke over and over and over, the kingdom of God. A couple of weeks ago, we said that the kingdom of God is so big that you can't even wrap your heart and mind around it. And just when you think you understand what the kingdom of God is, it's bigger than that. Like the, they're, they're preaching the kingdom of God, the ever-growing, the ever-pursuing, the ever-expanding kingdom of God. That's what he sends them out to do. Again, you've only seen Jesus preach so many messages, okay? You've only seen... And so it, it just provides this image in us. If this is going to happen, then Jesus must be really involved here. Then the power and authority that comes from Christ must really be equipping. And now you're thinking to yourself, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah I felt that before. Like, I felt like God calling me before, but in my mind, I was just like, there is no way that a skank, nasty person like me can do anything like that. And you're right, you can't, apart from Him. And that's the whole image that He's giving us here of what His power is. You trust in me, and you go, and we'll see what happens. Verse 3 says this. He told them, take nothing for the journey. This seems odd. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic, Right? Uh, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. He says, don't take a bag. And when he says a bag, it's, it's a begging bag. And so in ancient traditions, if you had a begging bag, you'd sit on the street corners. And sometimes if you were in ministry or whatever, you would sit on the street corners and then beg for money. And that was how you made your earnings. And he's saying, don't take a staff. Don't take a bag. Don't take any money. I think it shows a couple of things. I, I think it shows the urgency of the trip. You, you don't have time to prepare. It's time to go. Much like when he called them. Peter's holding, literally like holding a fishing net in his hands. And he says, come and follow me. Matthew or Levi is holding the coin in his hands as a tax collector. And he says, come and follow me. It's like, there's no time to prepare. And in fact, you know what? Right now, you don't need preparation because I'm behind all of this. So I just need you to go. You're not, you're not going to need a begging bag because I'm going to provide for you. You're not going to need a staff. You're not going to need an extra, an extra tunic. You're not going to need any of that. What you're going to need is reliance on me. And if you guys, as disciples, cannot learn how to completely rely on me in a time like this when you most need it, then you will never learn it. So rely completely and wholeheartedly on me. You with me? And so like as he's calling them, right, he keeps providing this image of, fellas, you're going to learn a whole different way to live. Because I know like normally when you would go on a trip, right, uh, some of you females I'm sure aren't heavy packers at all, right? Some of you husbands in here, right? You're like, are you kidding me? You've been packing for three hours, you know, the whole Vanister suitcase or something, you know. That's kind of like my wife. Just kidding, Heidi. Not really, though. But 
Right? It's like when you're going to go on a, on a long journey, it's, it's this sense of we have to pack everything in the kitchen sink. But that's, that's not what Jesus says here. You're, you're going to need nothing. What you need is me. And whenever you go into a town, stay in that house until you leave. I, the, aren't there pieces in Scripture, there's going to be two of them here, where you just wish there was more to it? Like you wish there was more detail here. You wish that you could watch Andrew walk into the town and like that random person who's not random at all, sent by God, comes up and says, hey, I, I, I know that you need some place to stay tonight. And he's like, what? Like, how do you know that, right? Or, or like all these stories of hospitality and people providing and God. Like, aren't there just times in Scripture where you just, you hunger for more? You're like, right? Like, the words are just coming off the page. You're just like, I want more, you know? And this is one of those times for me. I, I wish I could watch just how these disciples are learning how to become more reliant on Him. That is why it's so critical that we share. That's why it's so critical last week to watch Greg Shear and the Parkers on the screen. Because when we watch and hear about other people becoming more reliant on Christ, guess what it does? It's like, I want that. That reliance that Greg Shear has amidst his storm, I desire that. When he says God is good all the time, not just in the good, but he was there in the bad and the ugly, and now he's here now when I'm standing back on stage. You know what I mean? That is why it's so important, friends, that our conversations aren't just the Cubs are better than the Cardinals, which they are, but our conversations dive deeper than that. Do you know how Christ is teaching me reliance on him? Because I guarantee you that is a struggle that spans this board. We need to become more reliant on Him and Him alone, right? And so, friends, why aren't we talking about that? Why aren't we hearing more stories? Why isn't that the subject of conversation? Why aren't we asking each other, hey, how are you doing on just simple reliance on Him? Just, just tell me, because I'm so hungry right now just to hear a word from you. Come on, give it to me. Those are the conversations as a church, friends, that we need to be having. And if we're not, I feel like we're missing something major that He has to teach us. Verse, uh, verse 5 says this, If people do not welcome you, this gets a little dicey, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. It's kind of like Jesus saying, if they don't welcome you, then fine, then leave. I would have, a tr- I would have trouble with this verse if Jesus, when He sent the, pi- the demons into the pigs and they said, hey, can you leave our town? I would have trouble with this passage if He didn't say, okay. But he did. And he didn't, he didn't say okay because he was giving in to the demands of the people. Oh yeah, you're right. I'm God of the universe, but whatever you want. Yeah, I'm, I'm out of here. No, he's, he's saying like, okay. Like if this is the way, then I don't have to. Here I am. And you're missing me. And so, okay. In Acts 13, we see Paul and Barnabas do this exact same thing. They come into a town. Basically what it is, is it's an ancient a Jew, a Orthodox Judaism practice that when you would come into a town... Mostly Gentile, Gentile being not a Jew, okay? Mostly Gentile, you'd come into the town, and if, if that Gentile town or family or whatever it was didn't welcome you, then the, then the image was as you walked away that you were literally shaking the pagan dust off your feet. That's what the image is. This dust is from them, and I don't want it on me, and so I'm going to shake it off. And so the image is not like for us to all of a sudden say, yeah, so in St. Charles or wherever we're from, like when people don't welcome us, we're just going to you know, click our pumas together and say, you know, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about here. This is, a, this is a teaching right here and right now for Jesus. And, and, and it's, also, it's also the idea of, of judgment. It's like, hey, there's people, fellas, that will not know me. Again, you're a disciple and you're having to wrestle with this? Are you kidding me? But, but Jesus, I thought you came. I thought you came and like you're just going to rescue all the... You came and you were going to be like the Jewish militant leader that was... Just, and all the Romans are just going to 
there's going to be people that will not know me. So shake the dust off your feet. And what does he say? Continue. I keep going. It doesn't stop there. Verse 6. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. I love this. Because the rhetoric that Luke uses here is not. So they sat around in a big circle and were like, Peter's like, dude, I'm just so scared. Like Jesus just gave us authority to cast out demons and to heal diseases. I'm freaking out here. The passage doesn't, doesn't say things like, and they all gather around a circle, you know, and, and, and we're like trying to figure it out together. Or they were all like, okay, so how are we going to do this? Uh, other gospels say that they went out two by two. We see that here in a couple chapters when Jesus sends out the 70. But there's this image here of they just go. They just, they just do it. Jesus says, I give you all authority and power. I, as Christ, give that to you. And the picture here is they just go. There's no excuses. There's no sitting around in your comfortable circle talking about your inadequacies. This gives us the image that they completely understand, at least for a moment, that he's in control. They wouldn't go if, if it was any, any other reason, would they? They'd like start walking, and they'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And they'd like come back, and then we get this image of them walking away again, and them come, Jesus, are you sure? Like, show us how to do that. Like, we, we don't get any of that here. Like, they're not asking, so when you cast out a demon, like, where are your hands? They don't ask any of that. They just, they go. They go. God has given us an opportunity in this community to be completely obedient and to not have to sit in our circles and say, well, what about... Well, you, no, 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 you don't understand. What about this? You don't understand how deep this is in me and how deep my inadequacy is here. The message is clear. Love Him and love people. And I'm pretty sure that when Jesus leaves... And hold on a second, let me backtrack. There's a lot of questions about, okay, okay, so if, if, he, if Jesus gives them all, all power and authority right here, right now, then why don't we see a lot, a lot of more healings from the disciples in the Gospels? I believe from Scripture what we're going to see at the end of this passage is that this is, a, this is a limited time right here, right now. And he gives the same thing when he sends out the 70. He's giving them pictures. They come back. They wrestle. They wrestle together. How did it go? Tell me about it. Then he sends them out again, and then they come back again, right? And so the image here is, is, is that the, the power and authority may just be for this short time, for this short journey, so that they can learn what this looks like. Because post-resurrection, guess what's going to happen? And that's what I'm trying to say. Jesus says, go therefore... All authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Are you, is that not a clear picture that here you go? And then something crazy happens, the Holy Spirit comes. And then we don't see the disciples turning around ever again. They go and they do it guided by the Holy Spirit, by the power of Christ. And I'm pretty sure that we're living post-resurrection. Any arguments there? Check please, you know. So what are we sitting under? He says, go and make disciples of all, all authority has been given to me. Go. They do it. They set out and they go and they preach the news everywhere. I love it. I'm preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Verse 7. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, and this is Herod Antipas who ruled from 4 B.C. to 37 A.D. For all of you history buffs, he was the son of Herod the Great, right? This is a, a ruler here. Tetrarch is just his title. It means a fourth of the land or a fourth of the rule. 
Things get a little dicey with him here. Heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. John the Baptist, that is, verse 8. Others that Elijah, a great prophet from the Old Testament, had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. Verse 9, this is kind of funny. But Herod said, I beheaded John. So we started to hear from others that, uh, that, John the ba- that this is John the Baptist, this is Jesus. And then in his heart, he's thinking to himself, hold on a second, I beheaded John. And, and again, in, in, in the spiritual realm of kingdoms, if he's hearing that, that John the Baptist has come back, like, the dude's pretty freaking out, you know? He's like, hold on a second, headless guy, he's back, and I killed him. This is not good for me. You know, th- no one wins with this. Like, I'm going to wake up with dreams and chaos and, you know, a, a de-headed guy in my bedroom. This is, he, he's, a very, he's a very confused man. And so what question does he ask? Who then is this that I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. How many times have we seen this question so far? The disciples said this. Who then can even the winds and the waves obey him? We've seen demons ask this question. Who then is this? And that question comes out of what? Comes out of confusion. Some are saying Elijah. Some are saying John the Baptist. Who then is this? Who is this that all these people are talking about? The question is asked out of confusion. And friends, I believe that one of our great purposes as a church community and the church as a whole and the mission of Christianity is to help the world clarify who the person of Christ is. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of ideas. John the Baptist, Elijah, power, all these other images, Saddam, whatever it may be. Our big role as a church, as Christians, as people of the movement of Christ is to help clarify who Christ is. And so every word you say, everything you do is doing a couple things. It's either clarifying who the person of Christ is, if you've ever claimed to be a Christian, or it's confusing. So where, oh where, is your life at tonight? You feel like you're in a clarifying season. People look at my life and because of what Christ is doing in me, I feel like that right now people around me, all over, are being, like their picture of Christ is being completely clarified. They see the, who the real Jesus is, that it's not some other image over here, right? Because there's a lot of people that think things about Christ that aren't true. And there are a lot of things that people think about Christ, and, and they say that they're true, but they're not true at all, right? Are you with me? So the church and Christians worldwide, one of our great missions in making disciples is clarifying who Christ is. What does it say about Herod the Tetrarch? He tried to see him. Desire, right? This desire of seeing who Christ really is. And so if the world is out there and looking for something, we say it all the time that everyone everywhere, whether you're from here or Abu Dhabi, right, is looking for two things, love and truth, every person. So if people are looking for love and truth, and those things we believe are completely connected with the person of Christ, then why aren't we showing them Christ? Why are we confusing them? Oh, yeah, well, I know, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I know we're kind of talking about church and stuff, but let's just, let's just change the subject, because it's starting to make me as a Christian, the only one in the room, a little bit uncomfortable. If people are going there, why are we shutting down? If people are desirous of love, why aren't we willing to sacrifice? You see what I'm saying? Striking a chord, it's striking a chord in my life. If people are desirous of love, then why aren't we willing to sacrifice? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. Life is great and I have all the things that I need. So you just sit over there and I'll pray for you. 
Not saying prayer is bad. But that's, the, that's the common Christian answer of inaction at times. Right? And then we don't even pray. <laughs> like how many times have you been in a conversation? Yeah, so I have this struggle going on in my life. Yeah, dude, I'll pray for you. Right? Like three weeks later, like no prayer. So Herod the Tetrarch is confused. And our great mission as a church is to bring about clarification. Verse 10. This gets golden. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Time number two of I wish there was more. Right? You're a disciple. You've just been casting out, and I'm sorry that I'm laughing already, you've just been casting out demons and healing people. It just becomes like a, like a locker room all of a sudden. You cannot tell me that these guys get back and they're just all like, you know, you know, and, and, and everyone's like, Andrew's like, Andrew's like, hey, Peter, how was it? And he's always, oh, it, it was good. It was good. You know, everything was great. It's awesome. You know, they were, Peter was like, dude, there was this cripple, this, this blind person, and, this, and now, bam, they were just healed. It was crazy. Like, you can just imagine all of the conversations that began to happen in this moment, right? These guys had to be excited. I mean, again, whether they went out two by two or not, we don't, we don't know for sure. But what we do know is they go, and then they come back, and they've seen some crazy things. I mean, they've seen some, they've experienced the reality of Christ. And so they were probably reflecting on, I cannot believe almost that this, that this happened. I mean, there was this one, there was this one dude. And I mean, and then this, and then this, and then all of a sudden it was just like, and he walked away. And it was amazing. Can you, can you picture that moment? Isn't that, like, I bet there were like three pages worth of just locker room discussions between all of this. And, and, you, and you can imagine Jesus too, right? Or maybe you can't, but, but let's try. Right, Jesus sitting back there, you, you know, and Peter's talking. He's like, yeah, yeah, this happened. Jesus like, yeah, I know. You know, let's keep going. That's great. He's like, yeah, well, will this happen? Yeah, I caused that to happen. That's awesome. Let's keep going, you know. But, but, but I can imagine that Jesus was legitimately getting excited for them too. Why? Because a teacher is watching his pupils learn. And again, I, 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 it's hard for us, obviously, to relate with God. Okay? But imagine just Christ watching these guys who he just called, empowered by himself, come back and say, this and this and this happened. And I'm, it was amazing. Right? The pupils are learning. But they only learn for a little while. Let's keep going. You picture like the crescendo of the music. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. I love saying that word. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. The image here is that Jesus is taking, and the other Gospels allude to this. By the way, the feeding of the 5,000 here, just go ahead and give away the story, is the only miracle that's, that's listed in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Feeding the 5,000. Only one in all four Gospels. All right? So here we are. And, and every other Gospel says that they go to a solitary place. The image here is the disciples come back from a journey, Again, it was an urgent journey. It was probably going to be a short journey. That's why they didn't take anything. But they, they were probably tired. And so Jesus says, let's, let's withdraw to a solitary place. People hear that they're going. Jesus is like a rock star. And so, and so they follow him. He welcomed them, the people, the crowds, and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Again, another mention from Luke about the kingdom of God. And healed those who needed healing. Verse 12, friends, look at this. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging. Because we are in a remote place here. Um, how many times have you guys seen the disciples make a suggestion to Jesus so far? It, it seems interesting and slightly convenient for me that they just come back from a preaching, healing, casting out demon tour. And then all of a sudden they have some suggestions for Jesus. 
If we see the disciples as heroes and can't see them as human beings, then we lose. Jesus gave them something. Friends, stay with me here. He gave them something. He gave them a gift. And the purpose of a gift from Christ is to be a reminder of our inadequacy. He gives them power and authority, bringing focus to the fact that if He doesn't give it to them, they do not have it. And so when they have it, they're reminded of their inadequacy. It works the exact same way with your spiritual gifts. We have a very gifted church, gifts in many different areas. Those gifts are given to you to remind you of your own inadequacies. But because of our pride, that what is supposed to remind us of our inadequacies soon becomes the focal point of our adequacy apart from Christ. I don't need you anymore because I feel empowered. And I feel like I can do this on my own. Have you ever said that? A hundred times. I don't feel like I need you anymore, Jesus. And we give evidence of this by our intimacy with Him. It's the classic line. When the times are great, we fall away and become complacent. And when the storms come, then we come running back to the cross. The gift of the disciples here turns quickly to this image that they have something to offer. And so they come back and they're like, hey, Jesus, here's the plan. Do we need to send everyone? We just need to send everyone away. How, how crazy is that? They just come back from a massive spiritual journey and somehow Jesus doesn't have control over food. Oh, Jesus, I know you gave us all this power and authority to cast out demons and heal people and stuff, which was cool, but this food stuff, no. A cafeteria lady here, you know, like, you cannot take care of us. We need to call in, whatever it may be. So, so look, look at what happens here. Send the crowd away so that they, uh, so they can go to the surrounding villages and the countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. Does Jesus love that? So witty, isn't he, Jesus? Yeah. Oh, really? You give them something to eat. The second that you begin to think that this is about you, Thankfully, we have a Savior that reminds us it's about Him. You give them something to eat. And you can just imagine, and the disciples we're going to see in the response, they're, just, they're like fetching, right? It's like, what, what are you talking about? I mean, I know, I know you just gave us all this authority and stuff, but this eating thing, this is incredibly weird. Look at this. They answered, we only have five loaves, and, 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 um, five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for, for all this crowd. He's like, you give them something to eat. Well, Jesus, all we got is, is some loaves and some fish. And Jesus says, exactly. Jesus, all I got is a little bit of time. All I got is a couple relationships. All I got is this messed up life of mine. And Jesus leans in and he says, exactly. That's why I'm here. That's why I came. I gave you the gift to remind you of your inadequacy so that you will find your complete adequacy and acceptance in me.
solely. But Jesus, we only have, we only have some fish and some loaves. I know. But watch this, boys. But he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. It's kind of interesting here. So some type of groupings that are going on. The disciples are sitting back watching Jesus do his thing. Verse 15. The disciples did so and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He doesn't ostracize the disciples here. Don't you love this? They miss it a little bit. They come back, probably a little prideful, probably a little excited. But what does he do? He performs just an amazing miracle. And then what does he do with the disciples? He uses them to feed. He involves them again in the ministry. He doesn't ostracize them. We're not sure if he's disappointed or not, but he says, come here. This is a teaching moment. That's why I set you away in the first place so that you would come back for this exact moment and realize again that I will feed and I will satisfy. Not just with bread and fish and loaves, but I will satisfy your every need in the second that you think that your adequacy is greater than me. That's the second, friends, that you need to be humbled and realize that it's only because of Him. And what, is, what, is this, what does this say here? He gave them to the disciples to set before the people, verse 17. And they all ate and were satisfied. Different from the other Gospels, Luke's entire focus here is, is on this interaction with the disciples. So the disciples are sitting back after having experienced all, the, all these things. They watch Jesus multiply fish and loaves right before them. And I, like I wanted to come up with some cool graph of fish and loaves, but we just need to picture it. And we need to picture the verse saying, and they all ate and were what? Which, which isn't the image of like a snack bar, okay? Right? This isn't the image of like a couple goldfish for you chicks who like goldfish. My wife's obsessed with goldfish or whatever. Like we're not talking about like a few goldfish or one piece of tombstone pizza. No, no, no. Like we're talking about the whole, maybe even two. You know, we're, I mean, we're talking about they all ate and no one was left hungry. And the image of the person of Christ is exactly. No one leaves hungry. Everyone eats and they're satisfied when they eat here, when they're fed by me. And so the disciples gathered up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Interesting that there's 12, don't you think? Coincidence, I'm sure. He gives them something. And they go and they experience. And then they come back. And they maybe for a second begin to think that it's about them. And Christ instantly reminds them of their inadequacy. Friends, here we are. A church. Matthias' lot. Getting ready for a relaunch. We're excited. It's going to be awesome. Hard and Rock's face. No stairs for the take and take out. That's a bonus in and of itself. But God has put us in this community for a purpose. And I'm wondering tonight, if we as a body, before we relaunch, and what we mean by relaunch is simply reaffirming what Christ has called us to do, can we tonight as a church be reminded of our inadequacy? Or are we, out of our, out of our audacity, going to come to Christ and say, Hey Christ, here's the plan. So here's what we're going to do in St. Charles, Jesus. 
We're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to set out the map. We're going to go to these houses. Or is our approach going to be, Jesus, I know you're aware of that, aware of this, but there's a great need in St. Charles. There are people who are hungry and thirsty and they're homeless and they're hurting and they're lost and they're confused. Jesus, here's, here's the need. Will you show us what you want to do through us to help meet that need? What would have happened if the disciples would have done that? They didn't do that. Jesus, hey, man, we need to send everyone away. What if their approach would have been, hey, Jesus, I know you're well aware of this, but the people are hungry, so tell us what to do. And so they're like, hey, Jesus, here's the plan. How do you fit in this? And he says, no, 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 you guys don't understand. What if we as a church, friends, tonight can be reminded of our inadequacy to the place that we can say, Christ, use us. Mold us. Bring the people in our lives and the relationships in this church and the, and the places that we need to be... God, show us. Open our eyes to it. Reveal it to us. God, open our hearts to it. All of these gifts that span this room, friends, we're blessed. We have a very gifted church for the size of our church. What if those gifts in you that maybe even as we speak, have been welling up in you, creating this monster of a head, making you think that you're greater than you're not. What if tonight there was this mass humbling session of, no, actually, we're completely inadequate. He gives as the gifter, as a reminder of himself. And we're so excited to sin underneath that. Is that where you're at? Because I, I feel like that's where we need to be. And they all ate and they were satisfied. What does that remind you of? What does that remind you of? Another meal, maybe? As the disciples are preparing to be sent out? as the disciples are preparing to see what it means to follow Christ, and He brings them together in a room, and in the great moment of foreshadowing the adequacy, the acceptance that, that will come through Himself, He says, this is My body, which is broken for you. Take and eat, and do this in remembrance of Me. And every time that you have this meal, it's going to be a reminder that my broken body somehow makes you adequate in the eyes of my Father. Somehow, in the days of last, you will stand before Yahweh. And it's not because of anything that you've done. He will say, well done, good and faithful servant, simply because of my Son, Jesus Christ. And then he raised the cup. And he says, boys, fellows, guys who have learned so much, this is my blood, which is broken for you. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. And you know that, that as they pictured and as they heard the stories of what Christ went through, and post-resurrection as they were sent out and went, you know that one of the images that crossed through those disciples' minds was the reality of the blood of Christ. And that somehow that great sacrifice makes one accepted. Friends, we've got a big opportunity before us. A big opportunity as a church. My question tonight to each of us and to myself is what we have. We're a church of two years old. Most church, 80% of church plants fail by two years. God has blessed us and we're going to make it at least one more day. 
What are we going to do with that gift? It's going to like well up in our heads. Matthias' lot, we're going to like wear the t-shirts and the wristbands. Or is tonight focused on what Christ did for us, going to remind us of our inadequacies and begin year three as a church humbled. And not just humbled, friends, but more desperate than ever. And you get this image of Christ saying, exactly. Exactly. So tonight we're going to share in this meal together. This is a meal for believers, for those of you that have professed Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior at Matthias' lot. We take this meal by intention. In other words, as Christ leads and after you've examined your heart and repented, come clean and wash clean by the blood of the Lamb, come up and what intention means is simply that we pull off a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. Friends, I'm calling us, all of us, into a time of preparation for this meal as we focus on Christ's adequacy despite our own inadequacy. God, we just, um, we're just thankful. We're so thankful for the gifts that you've given us, for even the, the power and authority that you gave the disciples and the ways that you're honing their heart and making them more aware of yourself. I pray, God, that tonight that as we embark on a new journey as a church, that what happens in this room right now maybe has never happened before. A mass, broken body saying that we need you. And without you and your three, we will fail. And this church will close its doors. God, we're desperate for you tonight and desirous of you. Tonight is a a time where you've never made a commitment to Christ. You've never accepted the fact that he is real and alive, that his sacrifice meant something to you. Jason and Jeff are both going to be on both of these sides here tonight. And if you just need someone to talk to and ask questions with, not committing to anything by talking to them. It's just a time to ask questions. I invite you, as, the, as some of us respond in communion, to respond in that way. So let's respond to the person of Christ tonight.